Hello and welcome to the Herbal Sensorium, a sanctuary for musings and explorations into the sensational realm of clinical herbalism. I'm your host, Erica Gallantin of Sovereignty Herbs and the Herbal Practice Connection, and I am so very grateful for your company today. Hello, my dear friends. I'm so excited you are here, because boy, oh boy, do I have quite the soapbox for you this month. I hope these last few weeks have you feeling that internal shift into the newness of spring. I personally can't believe the equinox is only a few weeks away. It's just been so rapid. And the spring is always such a profound awakening as it is. To have it be such a, a quick and fast and furious process this year has just been uh, something else. And as a seasonal creature myself, I can really feel the energy building, the expansiveness, the opening, the lightness and brightness. And in my medicine gardens in Appalachian, Ohio, everything is happening about a month earlier than it normally does, which is both wonderful and odd, but also completely overwhelming, as the growing season timeline has literally caught me off guard and I am immediately behind in getting the gardens ready for the season. One of my tasks in garden prep is cutting back the desiccated stems and stalks of the previous season's growth. I tend to leave them around all winter long because they provide really amazing habitat for insects and pollinators uh, and uh, all of the bird species. And so the gardens look pretty disheveled over the winter, but I feel like they serve a purpose of supporting the natural world while everything is otherwise sleeping. So cutting back desiccated stems and stalks is kind of the first sweep of the season. And so my story for this month's episode of the Herbal Sensorium begins with me pruning in my lemon balm patch. So picture this. A few unusually warm and sunny days back, I found myself in the corner of one of my medicine garden beds that is currently carpeted with the first flush of emerald green lemon balm growth buried beneath an entangling of dried out flowering stems from the previous growing season. I am on my hands and knees, carefully unweaving the mess with my fingers and snipping away at the debris and as I'm doing so, becoming entirely intoxicated with the brightest, sweetest, most enlightening citrus aroma, I have always likened the scent of lemon balm to lemon drop candy. There is something youthful and even joyful in its aromatics, mm, like the kindness of innocence. Anyway, as my psyche is being washed over with the tenderness of lemon balm, I am drawn back in time by the memory of when I first heard the saddest herbal rumor I have probably ever heard. An herbal rumor that when I heard it, stopped me in my tracks with dismay, catapulting me into a fascinating research journey. 
And so the memory goes something like this. Several years ago, I was invited to teach a class at another herbalist's school, which is always a joy to be asked to do. As part of this invitation, I was also asked to show up early so that I could sit in with the group. They would be discussing Nervines. And I love discussions on Nervines. They're so relaxing. (laughs) So there I was, peacefully enjoying myself as the discussion shifted from Nervine herb to glorious Nervine herb, and finally landing on lemon balm. So I will say this, I love lemon balm, like really love it. So naturally, I was thrilled that this was where the day was headed. We talked about all the blessed aspects of lemon balm that one could possibly speak of, each of us with smiles and pleasantries on our faces as we enjoyed the lovely citrus flirtations rising from our teacups. And then, suddenly, my pure bliss and I were torn asunder, literally, And dramatically, I found myself spitting a spray of projectile lemon balm tea from the shock of it. The herbalist who had invited me to teach spoke out, quote, So even though lemon balm is incredibly safe, even for children, there is only one safety precaution. And like a hound hearing a far-off cry of the grouse, My ears and curiosity perked up with complete attention. The herbalist went on to say, dun-dun-dun-dun, lemon balm is contraindicated in hypothyroidism, and so you should not recommend this herb to anyone who has low thyroid function. It was at this precise moment that the lemon balm tea that was in my mouth found its way back into my teacup, and perhaps a bit on my lap. Now, this wasn't one of my finer moments, as my surprise and reaction pulled everyone's attention away from their teacher to the look of bewilderment on my face. And then silence, as if they were all waiting for me to say something. I didn't want to be rude. But never, ever in my training, my clinical career, or my personal or professional experiences with lemon balm, had I ever heard this, nor could I even fathom it to be true. But all that came out meekly from my mouth was, oh, sorry, I just haven't heard that. Where does this information come from? And maybe I shouldn't have asked, as I think I put the herbalist who had so kindly invited me into their classroom in an uncomfortable place of being challenged in their own classroom, which is totally not my intention at all. Nonetheless, I was then informed of the long line of references to other herbalists who have also said or written the same thing, and that it was something that was just known and acknowledged as, quote-unquote, true. I didn't say anything after that for fear of overstaying my welcome, but poor lemon balm, I thought. What a crushing rumor to overcome. But I will get to the bottom of it, and I will set you free from this prison of a contraindication that you totally do not deserve. And thus, 
We have arrived at this month's musings here in the Herbal Sensorium, where not only do I liberate lemon balm from falsehood and take a deep dive into its kindly medicinal ways, but I take the opportunity to share about something called clinical relevance. Why we need to dig deep and question when we hear lines in the sand drawn about herbs, and how only you can prevent herbal rumors. So I have just finished up teaching my infamous five-week live online intensive called Demystifying Herbal Research and Herb-Drug Interactions. I had a really rad group of students this time around, and for those of you listening to this episode who were in my class, thank you so much for joining me on that herbal research adventure. I had a really great time. So this herbal research intensive that I just finished teaching is all about diving into how to evaluate scientific research, from the pros and cons of different types of research models, to evaluating a journal for its merit, and even covering a bit of biological statistics, everyone's favorite subject. This series is about becoming an educated herbal research consumer. I'll just repeat that, an educated herbal research consumer, and understanding the nuances between information and knowledge when it comes to incorporating herbal research into your understanding of herbs and your therapeutic rationale as a clinician. During our second class, I was teaching about the difference between primary, secondary, and tertiary sources of information, and why it matters when a person is acquiring information from these sources that they understand the difference. I was explaining to them that primary, secondary, and tertiary are not judgments about quality, but rather are a measure of how close or distant from the primary source the information within those sources are. To demonstrate this concept, I began telling them the story I just told you about the first time I heard the rumor that lemon balm is contraindicated in hypothyroidism. I told them how I was so utterly dismayed by this herbal rumor and how when we hear statements like that made about herbs, or what I call herbal lines in the sand, that we should always, and I mean always, explore where that information came from, that we have a duty to the plants and to our profession to investigate the root of these types of things to find the primary source of information and evaluate it for ourselves, rather than just take these truisms in and, well, believe them to be true. Because this is how herbal rumors are perpetuated. And it breaks my heart to think of all the folks out there with hypothyroidism who have avoided lemon balm and who could have really, really benefited from its awesomeness. At that point in our discussion during class, my chat box started blowing up with, what do you mean lemon balm isn't contraindicated in hypothyroidism? I've read this in so many books and have been taught this by so many teachers. What do you mean? And my students usually are pretty shocked when I refute this awful rumor about lemon balm. 
about as shocked as I was when I first heard the rumor in the first place. Poor lemon balm. So I shared with my students the research journey I went on to get to the bottom of the lemon balm is contraindicated in hypothyroidism rumor about how I found it stated as such in a variety of American herbal books, both older and more newly published, without any references to where they had gotten that information from. I shared with them about how I had to dig deep into the bowels of scientific research databases until I finally came across what I believe to be the primary source. And the primary source was this. One lab with one head researcher led a series of in vitro studies back in the 80s, so almost 50 years ago, that were clearly hunting new drug targets from the plant kingdom for the treatment of Graves' disease. Now, Graves' disease is hyperthyroidism, so the opposite of hypothyroidism. These studies were testing a specific type of lemon balm extract in petri dishes using cow, mouse, and human tissues. The only other more recent study I found was from 2003, so about 20 years old now. And this was also an in vitro study asking a similar question as the original 1980 studies, except using ovarian tissue from hamsters and is therefore similarly lacking in clinical relevance. I have linked these papers in the show notes for you to check out for yourself. And for those of you unfamiliar with why I'm not smiling at this in vitro research into lemon balm, in a moment I will be explaining why this type of research is rarely influential in my clinical work or to my knowledge about the medicinal virtues of plants. Now, before I move forward onto why I believe lemon balm is not contraindicated in hypothyroidism, there are two concepts here that I feel like I need to briefly elaborate on. Firstly, I want to talk about the concept of something called clinical relevance. Now, and I've said this a couple of times already, but I really want to explore how it is defined in regards to integrating information about herbs from scientific research into my knowledge base. The second concept I want to elaborate on is regarding in vitro research and the what and the why of it that makes it lack any clinical relevance. And yet, somehow, it usually serves as the starting place of so many detrimental herbal rumors. Okay, so clinical relevance. Let's explore this a little bit. The clinical relevance of a scientific research paper or study is a concept that comes to us through the evidence-based practice model in healthcare. And I want to give a shout out to all the nurses out there, as you all are the pioneers of this system of decision-making and have really paved the way for common sense. What the evidence-based practice model brings to the table in my herbal practice is the understanding that there are multiple sources of information that should be called upon to inform clinical decision-making, including, but not limited to, current best evidence 
from scientific research. Best evidence. So what does best evidence mean exactly? The evidence-based practice model speaks to us about levels of evidence in scientific research and how not all study designs are equal in regard to their capacity to inform clinical rationale. Indeed, when it comes to scientific research as evidence to inform clinical decisions, preclinical studies, so studies not involving humans, such as in vitro studies or in vivo animal studies, are not considered evidence at all. In fact, the evidence-based practice model assumes human research only. It doesn't even consider in vitro or in vivo animal studies as part of the evidence-based equation. So specifically addressing this concept of clinical relevance from this evidence-based practice model, the clinical relevance of a scientific research study refers to its ability to actually inform clinical decisions. Clinically relevant findings from scientific research are those which improve care in support of an individual's physical, emotional, and even social well-being. But not just any finding from herbal research will fit the bill, because not all scientific research about herbs should be considered evidence, nor hold merit in my clinical work. And this malarkey about lemon balm in petri dishes holds zero merit in my clinical practice or in my understanding and lived sensorial experience of lemon balm. And this is why. Vitro studies or studies done in a petri dish have their place. And when it comes to herbal research, this place is really one of discovery and testing of novel compounds for new drug or nutraceutical targets. When it comes to study designs, In vitro studies are cheap and simple to conduct in comparison to human studies. They're relatively quick to conduct, and they're easy to replicate in order to verify results. That being said, they are the very, very beginning of a long research process that involves a long and difficult progression from petri dish, or proof of concept, to animal studies And then perhaps, if you are lucky, on to human studies. It is well known in the laboratories of pharmacologists all across the planet that the results from in vitro studies cannot be extrapolated out to human beings. You can't demonstrate that lemon balm inhibits the binding of thyroid hormones to thyroid membranes in living human beings from a petri dish. It's just not the way of things. In fact, to this day, I have yet to find any research about lemon balm and thyroid function that actually involves living human beings. And herein lies the problem with the rumor that lemon balm is contraindicated in hypothyroidism. And hopefully, I've explained why. Sure, information from in vitro studies is information. But it isn't necessarily good quality information. And what I choose to do with information that comes to me from in vitro research can be what begins and perpetuates the next detrimental herbal rumor. So circling back to my recent herbal research intensive, 
I explained to my students that what probably started this herbal rumor decades ago about lemon balm being contraindicated in hypothyroidism was an herbalist doing uh, paper copy research in a library somewhere who came across these in vitro studies. And without knowing any better, without understanding that in vitro research is not necessarily evidence of anything, decided to interpret from these studies that lemon balm was potentially dangerous for folks with hypothyroidism, even though that wasn't even the research question in the papers to begin with. They were really looking for targets to treat hyperthyroidism or Graves' disease. So then what probably happened was another herbalist read that statement in whatever was published, and then when writing their book, didn't go to the primary source of information and simply just repeated the same sentiment that lemon balm is contraindicated in hypothyroidism. Rinse and repeat until here we are in 2023 with folks still reciting the rumor without any context as to where it came from and that it is, indeed, likely one of the most inaccurate things you could say about lemon balm. Interestingly enough, my friend and colleague Camille Freeman recently released a podcast about Vitex Angus Castus and the herbal rumor that it's contraindicated in PCOS. In her podcast, her and her guest break down the origins of this rumor and call it out for what it is, a statement based on low-level evidence that should have never been made at all. And I've put a link to that episode of her podcast in my show notes so you can help debunk another herbal rumor. Because herbal rumors are a thing, and they cause harm. They prevent access to herbal support that an individual might otherwise really benefit from. So the moral of the story is, when you hear a line in the sand like that, for example, lemon balm is contraindicated in hypothyroidism, or Vitex is contraindicated in PCOS. You need to take it with a grain of salt. Ask why. Do the research. Dig deep, for only you can prevent herbal rumors. With that being said, in taking you back to my original story about the first time I heard the lemon balm rumor and almost spit my tea out all over the classroom, not only was I shocked because after all of my extensive training, I had never heard it, I was also shocked because at the very least, there is absolutely nothing about my sensorial and phenomenological experience of lemon balm, how it smells, how it tastes, how it feels in my body, that speaks to there being some type of contraindication in hypothyroidism. Furthermore, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, from hundreds of years worth of traditional use that speaks to this possibility either. In fact, quite the contrary. So I'm just going to say it. I do not believe in any stretch of the imagination that lemon balm is contraindicated in hypothyroidism. And you can quote me on that. And I hope you stick around to find out why I feel like I can say that so emphatically as we take a deeper dive into the loveliness of lemon balm. 
I even have a very special episode-specific quote from my dear friend and one of my favorite herbalists of all time, Jim McDonald. So stay tuned. Okay, so I have chosen to do something special with this and future episodes of the Herbal Sensorium, something that I haven't tried yet, but I'm hoping becomes another backbone of these musings. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit here with a freshly brewed cup of lemon balm tea. And I'm going to take you through a process of a tea tasting like I was taught by my teachers, Christopher Headley and Keith Robertson, and all of the faculty at the Scottish School of Herbal Medicine. So my whole point to this, the tea tasting, is about experiencing the herb for itself, for who it is in the world. I do my best to clear my head of all the things that I think I know about the plant and instead open up my senses to receive new information. This is a wonderful, wonderful process that you can do with any herb of your choosing, whereby you have the opportunity to invest yourself in a relationship with that plant. And the way that I have been trained and the way that I continue to study herbalism is from a place that believes firmly in the lived experience of our senses and being legitimate sources of information. More legitimate, I would argue, than the Petri dish told me so. So my lemon balm tea is steeping right here in a covered teapot. And it's been about 20 minutes or so and has cooled enough to drink, I think, without burning my tongue. And this particular lemon balm herb is freshly dried. Uh, it was harvested from my medicine gardens this past fall prior to the frost from that exact patch that I was telling you about I was weeding in. So it's just about under six months old and this is important as I think that the quality and the efficacy of dried lemon balm as a tea really deteriorates quickly after harvest. And I have found that dried lemon balm that is six months or older usually lacks the same vibrancy that I know and appreciate and rely upon with this herb. So in the tradition of how I was taught and how I teach herbal tea tastings, I want to start with what I am smelling as I remove the lid from the teapot and pour it into my teacup and bring these aromatics up to my nose. Okay, wow. So, I mean, I'm, I'm first actually hit with the smell of green fresh. It's, it's a, a fresh green, vital, it's alive. And only once I get past this, this green vibrancy and its aroma, am I starting to pick up some of those delicate citrus undertones. It's, uh, it's bright. It's bright and it's awakening to the senses. And, and just in the aromatics, as I'm sniffing it in, trying not to snort the tea up my nose, 
Yes, in the aromatics there is there's movement. It is it is motivating, it is energizing. I keep thinking of the word bright. This is really this is reminding me of the the first time I ever actually distilled lemon balm. And I, I wrote about that distillation in my journal and I actually wrote a, a blog post about it. And what I, I wrote about the aroma is um, something along the lines of the aroma is intoxicating. Sweet lemon drop candy, honey for the heart. I can feel it in every cell of my body. It's like inhaling a spring sunrise, cool and bright and crisp and vivacious. I'm being reminded of my own vitality. In fact, my vitality is illuminated. So from there, let's move on to the taste. I'm going to go ahead and slurp this. Hopefully it's not going to burn my mouth. Mmm. Wow, you guys. Wow. So what's amazing is the first, the first sensations of flavor that, I, that hit my mouth are really very similar to the, that greenness and that verdancy that I picked up with the aromatic at first. It's really fresh, nutritive almost, like, uh, you know, like a fresh spring salad, easily digested. <laughs> Let me try again. And yes, I'm slurping purposely loud for the sake of the sound effects in this podcast, but my goodness, it is mild. It is such a mild flavor, and it is, it is so kindly. I think of the word kindly. I think of, I think of kindred. And it does have uh, the flavor of it is, it is also bright. So there's, there's this kindness to it. There's a vibrancy, a verdancy, and it is similar to its aroma, bright and crisp and uplifting in its flavor. There, there's nothing heavy or dank or resinous or or uh, or anything like that, right? We're on the other side of the spectrum with this flavor. So now that I've been sipping on the tea, the next step of the tea tasting is really to allow myself to feel what's going on in my body as an interaction between me and the plant. And this can take a little while to observe, you know, and it, it also usually takes to the end of a teacup, really, for me to, to get the full length of time needed to, to really pay attention to these physical sensations. But nonetheless, from the aromatics and the flavor alone, there is something bright and sunshiny and expansive and uplifting about lemon balm. And from this experience alone, just sitting with lemon balm one-on-one -on -one and smelling it and sipping it and even getting to feel it in my body, there is nothing here about the experience that would lead me to believe with any stretch of the imagination that lemon balm is somehow contraindicated in hypothyroidism, that somehow it is going to prevent the metabolism of the body from doing what it is meant to do. In fact, if anything, I feel a motivation, I feel an energy, a movement, a, a brightness, not a stagnation, not a slowing of things, but a motivating of things, a kindly motivation. That is what I'm sensing from Lemon Balm.
And we don't have to look very far or very deeply into lemon balm's traditional use to have our sensory experiences of it validated. So, I mean, even just going back to uh, authors like Nicholas Culpepper, right? And he writes something along the lines of, It is an herb of Jupiter. It causes the mind and heart to become merry, and it revives the heart and drives away all troublesome cares and thoughts out of the mind. So there's a real sentiment here for this mood-uplifting nervine action that we all know and love so much about lemon balm. And, you know, for those of you who are uh, into medical astrology and are familiar with some of these archetypes of the planets, I, you know, tend to think about Jupiter as, you know, being all about expansiveness and, uh, you know, stretching the possibilities of things. There's an outward energetics there, a, a, a movement of energetics there when we think about Jupiter. And so it's just, for me, it's my way of interpreting Nicholas Culpepper to say that this is a uplifting and motivating herb. And moving, you know, on into the 21st century, um, you know, one of my uh, colleagues and favorite authors, uh, Simon Mills, uh, wrote about in his book, The Essential Book of Herbal Medicine, which, by the way, is probably one of my favorite herbal books out there. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. But he writes about lemon balm and is sort of quoting uh, research coming out of Germany that indicated lemon balm in their clinical trials is quite adept at what they refer to as psychological autonomic support. So, you know, where there's excitability, restlessness, headaches, palpitations. Now, what's interesting about this is that all of this is collectively sort of like the symptoms of hyperthyroidism, right? Where we have uh, everything running on high octane, heart pounding out of the chest, sometimes scarily so. And there is just an immense overstimulation that is being felt in multiple organ systems all over the body. And so when we're looking at this idea of lemon balm being contraindicated in hypothyroidism because of this Petri dish research, I tend to think about, well, the research was really looking at how lemon balm might be effective for supporting people with Graves' disease. So hyperthyroidism, even though it took place in a Petri dish and had really not much to do with human beings at all, it's still a very different research question than whether or not lemon balm is bad for people with hypothyroidism. But going back to Simon Mills, you know, what he says about lemon balm, and I think this sums it up really lovely, is that lemon balm is one of the best central nervous system relaxants that we have available to us. And we all know that, you know, this relaxing nervine action is very different than sedative or a slowing action. And when it comes to lemon balm in particular, I find that it is an herb of joy and upliftment. And this is really super important 
you know, especially for those of us who get kind of stuck in the darkness and have trouble lifting ourselves out of it. And so for a person who is uh, exhausted because they are overstimulated, lemon balm is a game changer and such a kind, gentle, and loving, supportive herb. And so as I was planning my chat with you all about lemon balm, I wanted to reach out to one of my dearest herbal buddies in the world, Jim McDonald, and ask him what he thought about this whole lemon balm is contraindicated in hypothyroidism rumor. And he's such a lovely chap that we had such a really great heart-to-heart conversation about this. And he decided that he would be kind enough to gift me with some of his thoughts about lemon balm. And before I share those with you, I want to let you all know that if you haven't already checked out his program, Lindira, you should totally go and check it out. Um, It is just an incredibly rich and meaningful way to learn about herbs uh, from a real lived experience perspective. And, you know, the students that I've had, honestly, um, as, you know, my mentees in clinical mentorship programs that have come through Jim's Lindira program have really just been super top notch. And so it's just one heck of a training, you guys. Um, and you should totally check it out. There are both in person and online options available. And I have put a link to that program in my show notes. So, what Jim had to say about uh, lemon balm, and literally, he had a lot to say about lemon balm. And it's, it was so hard for me to go through his musings and choose what things that I wanted to share with you. But I think I will make it simple by saying this. This comes from Jim McDonald. Lemon balm both uplifts the spirits and brightens the mood to help dispel excesses of melancholy and can rein in the excess of those who overexert themselves but seem to feed off of and ride to the surf of the waves of overstimulation. Sounds a little bit like me, Jim. Maybe sounds a little bit like you. But anyway, he goes on to say this, and this was the classic point that I think I wanted to share with all of you. Jim says, duality kills nuance and inhibits understanding. Dualistic perception makes us think things like, if lemon balm is supportive for people who are suffering with hyper or overactive thyroid function, it must be bad for hypo underactive thyroid function. I don't feel or find this to be the case, says Jim. And he continues that he would even go so far as to suggest that the uplifting and expansive virtues of lemon balm's aromatic nature might help actually resolve tendencies to this kind of dualistic thinking. So with that... Thank you, Jim, for your wonderful insights. And this brings us to the conclusion of this month's Herbal Sensorium. 
I hope that you have enjoyed my soapbox about herbal rumors and feel empowered to dig a little deeper next time you hear one. This is Erica Gallantin of Sovereignty Herbs and the Herbal Practice Connection, wishing you wellness wherever you are on your clinical herbalism journey. Thank you all for being with me in the Herbal Sensorium, and I look forward to spending time with you again here very, very soon.